examples, guys, we're going to go back to the 21st chapter. Glory God, the 21st chapter of the book of Genesis. Hallelujah, the 21st chapter of the book of Genesis. And um, we'll begin our reading again, hallelujah, around that 8th verse. Around the 8th verse, and we'll take off there. The text says this. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. The text says, And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne into Abraham, mocking. The text says, Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. The text says, And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, let it not be grievous in thy sight because of thy lad and because of thy bondwoman. And all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. The text says in the next verse, and also of the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation because he is thy seed. We're going to stop here. Uh, and we've been still uh, dealing with our subject matter, me and my dysfunctional family. And we've talked about the fact that the very family that God chose to birth the, earth, the saving in the earth realm through, that very family had a lot of dysfunction, had a lot of stuff going on that needed to be dealt with. Can I get a witness? And so we, we saw that, and what we, what we glean from that very fact is, is that God uses imperfect people to get his will done in the earth. Repeat that with me. Say, God uses imperfect people to get his will done in the earth. Because if he's using you and I, we are imperfect beings. Am I right about it? He's using us to do the work of ministry. And so we have a lot of stuff going on that sometimes it's disruptive. It's not where God wants us to be. But yet still, I thank God that he doesn't throw us away when we get into a state of dysfunctionality. Aren't you glad about that? Aren't you glad that God didn't take what you said last week and hold it against you? Aren't you glad God didn't take how you acted last year at this time? How many of y'all acted a plum food up in here, up in here, in your place of abode? But yet God says, I'll forgive you if you repent and turn back to me. So we see throughout Abraham's family that there's a lot of things that were happening and Abraham uh, was, was, was called by God and his seed was going to bless the whole earth. Now we left off on last week and I was sharing with you about the fact that Sarah confronted uh, Hagar uh, and Hagar's son because in, th- in this text he was making fun of Isaac. Isaac was, uh, had just been weaned and they were celebrating that and he, we had... We had uh, Ishmael, who had been born earlier uh, through sin, through, through the flesh, and he was about 14 or 15 years old, but he's mocking and making fun of his baby brother. And so Sarah got angry and ended up, ended up shooing them away, but God took care of them because even though uh, that was not God's promised seed, God promised to take care of Hagar and her son Ishmael, okay? So, but we talked about the fact that one of the things that we got to do uh, and and we as a born-again body believe if we're going to chase out the dysfunctionality in our families and in our, in our families uh, of origin, our, our, our work families and our church families, we got to learn the benefits of confronting situations in our relationships. Because in order for a relationship to be healthy, 
We have to have confrontation. Confrontation is not necessarily a bad word if we do it the right way. Let me say it again. Confrontation is not a bad thing if we do it the right way. Can I get a witness? And so we, we, we left off last week, and we're going to give you these seven benefits of confrontation. The first thing we told you was uh, it, it preserves love. It's, it preserves love. That's what confrontation does. It preserves love in a relationship. Amen? And most of us don't think of that, but it actually does. This, you know, the Latin word for confrontation we told you on last week means to turn your face toward, to look at frontally. It, it indicates that you are turning toward the relationship and the person. Because if you want that relationship to be healthy, then you have to deal with issues that come up. Can I get a witness? So many of us are afraid to deal, amen, uh, out front and up uh, in, 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 with, with no holes barred, deal with an issue that's got to be dealt with. And so many times we'll let stuff fester. We'll let it simmer. We'll let it, amen, boil beneath the surface to the point to where it gets to, to where it just explodes at any moment. Have any of y'all exploded at any moment when you got full? Have any of y'all got tired of being tired? Huh? And many times we sit in situations and we get tired of things because we haven't really actually dealt with them in a God-honoring way. So when we learn how to confront, it actually helps us to preserve love in a relationship. Because when you love someone, you'll, you'll speak the truth. And the Bible tells us to speak the truth, what? In love. The intent of the confrontation is to make the relationship better, to deepen the intimacy, and to create more love and respect between two people. So, so how does confrontation preserve love? Basically by protecting the relationship from elements that are trying to harm it or destroy it. If you never deal with problems in your family, if you always run away from it, they never get solved, and therefore you have an unhealthy relationship. Same thing happens in the church. Many times when we're ministering in church and we're trying to grow and develop as a church body, sometimes we have to correct things and we have to address things. And there are a lot of people who, who wear their feelings on their shoulders. And every time you go to correct and to try to make something better, they get offended and they, and they get mad and they get huffy. Any of y'all got huffy in the church before? Oh, come on, look at me. Come on, let's talk. You ever got huffy about something when... Particularly when we, we, we may have evaluated an event or a program or a ministry and said, here's some ways we can improve that. But you, you get mad because you don't like to deal with confrontation and you get upset because the thing was brought out that maybe you were over a ministry and need to, there's, there's some help that you need in that ministry. Rather than just receiving that help and receiving the critical analysis, you get offended. And so we, can't, we can never grow as an individual and as a church if we get offended when we are confronted or on a problem is addressed or when it's analyzed and we say we can do that thing better. Can I get a witness? Brother Kenny Wayne, you, you have a, a, lawn, uh, a lawn service and, and if, if you cut someone's yard and then forget to weed eat around the edges and someone calls you back and say, uh, I'm not quite pleased, I need you to come back, you shouldn't get mad at them, should you? All right, because you want that business, first of all, and if, it did, if you missed it, you want to go back and correct it. Yes, See, a lot of times in our lives, when, we, when things are pointed out to us, we get upset rather than looking at what is need to be corrected. Can I get a witness? So when we learn how to do, do that well, it preserves love 
in a relationship. The second thing we told you was it resolves alienation. It resolves alienation in the relationship. Healthy confrontation also brings disconnected people together. Any of y'all ever felt disconnected before? All right, look at me. All right, all right. you all that are viewing uh, via live stream, have you ever felt disconnected from your spouse before? Have you ever felt disconnected at work or at church? You felt like I'm just, I'm just not, for some reason, I'm not, I'm not in tune. And guys, I'm going to tell you, during this pandemic, there's a lot of mental and emotional uh, unhealthiness that has taken place. And people are, are, are thinking things they never thought before because they've been in isolation. But I want to tell you today that as a born again believer, we got to realize that healthy confrontation will bring disconnected people together. Now, now, now the, the, the degree to which two people in a relationship can bring up and resolve issues is a critical marker of the soundness of that relationship. By that, I mean, if you say you're friends with someone and then you and that friend have a, a conversation or talk, or let's say y'all disagree strongly about something. And when you disagree strongly about something, uh, you, you, you're, you're able to still keep the relationship intact. If you're able to still keep the relationship intact when you still disagree strongly about something, then that, that shows that your relationship is healthy. Can I get a witness? Because, because we are all different individuals, right? And I'm not talking about a, a moral issue or right or wrong issue. Sometimes it's a matter of what preference. You say tomato, I say tomato. You say black, I say blue. You say cowboys, I say saints. You say LSU, I say Alabama. Can I get a witness? Sometimes we don't agree, it's a matter of preference, but that disagreement of preferences doesn't kill the relationship. Or when you go to someone and share with them about a, a particular moral failure or fault that you see in them that, that, that really, if they will address it, God could use them more mightily. And if you get mad when someone comes to you and talk to you about you, then there's a problem there. But when we learn how to do this the right way, guys, uh, it'll show that our relationship is healthy. Relationships, listen to this carefully. Relationships are designed by God to be whole, and the more parts of you, such as your strengths, your weaknesses, your vulnerabilities, your passion, your desires, and your failures, the more parts of you that are connected to the parts of the, of the other person, the greater the closeness, the greater the depth, the greater, guys, listen to me carefully, the greater the meaning of the relationship. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians, the 6th chapter right quick, and look at verse number 11. The Apostle Paul is writing here, 2 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, verse number 11. Let's go back there real quickly. So we see two things so far. We said it preserves love. That may not sound like it to you, but confrontation actually preserves love in a relationship. You know, my wife and I, sometimes we have these, uh, what I call deep conversation. And, 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 you know, and one of the things that I've, I've learned to do is learn how to have those conversations without getting defensive. Uh, I've learned how to ha have those conversations without interrupting. Because when, anytime a man hears, hears his wife say, we need to talk. Come on, see, some of y'all laughing right now, right? Anytime a man hears his wife say, we need to talk, man, all kinds of thoughts start going through your head. You're like, oh, Lord, what did I do now? What, what, what am I not living up to now? When in actuality, sometimes what they really just mean that I need us to share openly and honestly right now, and let's talk about some things that we need to address. But men sometimes, you know, we, we have to work on that. Can I get a witness, brothers? 
Can I get one? Y'all gonna leave me out there hanging? I'm gonna talk to the folk online. Brother, can I get a witness? When you hear we need to talk, sometimes you're like, oh Lord, what's, what's going on now? What, what have I not addressed? What have I missed? Because sometimes we just miss stuff, don't we? We just miss it. We, we, we don't intend to miss it, but we just miss it. It goes right by us over our heads sometimes because we're not, we're not focused in. But watch what this text says right here. Look at the text. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. And notice it says, oh, dear Christian friends, or Corinthian friends, I'm sorry. Oh, dear Corinthian friends, we have spoken honest with, honestly with you and our hearts are open to you. Next verse says what? There is no lack of love on our part, but you have withheld your love from us. Can we keep reading? Next verse says what? I am asking you to respond as if you were my own children. Open your hearts to us. Next verse says what? Let's read. Don't team up with those who are what? Unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with what? Darkness. How can it? It cannot. The Bible says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Light and darkness cannot coexist in the same arena. If the, if the lighting people were to turn all these lights off right now, darkness would come. But as soon as light enters, darkness has to what? It's got to go. It's got to go. So Paul is, is, is encouraging this, this Corinthian church here. Nothing, guys, is more miserable than to be in a relationship with someone yet disconnected. Can I get a witness? Nothing can be more miserable than to be in a relationship with someone yet disconnected from them at the same time. You're in a relationship, but you're disconnected. Can I get a witness? You're in a relationship, but you are disconnected with them. It doesn't feel right because it's not right. It doesn't feel right. Something is wrong. You know it's wrong because there's a disconnect there. How many of y'all ever walked into a room and could tell by the look on somebody's face, Mac, that Monica was disconnected from you? I know you know about talking about it. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Every husband in here knows that. You know that look. Not a word has to be said, and you can tell, and it goes the other way too. Not a word has to be said, and wives can know that something is wrong with husband, right? There is a disconnect that is felt intensely when we're not coming together. God did not design us for disconnected relationships, okay? So it preserves love. It resolves alienation. The third thing it does, it empowers. Empowerment comes from, from, from learning how to confront God's way. Confrontation brings empowerment. It brings the ability to make choices and changes in your relationship. God created all of us to be change agents for each other. We are our brother's keepers. We are to sharpen one another. And a, 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 the Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. So when we, are, when we say something that may hurt, but if it's coming from a true friend who loves you, it'll help you. And, it's, and a true friend will be faithful and not let you go on in your own little mess. Because all of us, if we're not careful, can, can stew in our own little, uh, our own little idiosyncrasies, our own little way of doing things, and we can be outside the will of God. So we say empowerment. It, it empowers us, okay? We have, guys, we have the responsibility to influence people in our lives to be the best possible people that they can be. 
I like what 1 Thessalonians 5 and 11 says. It says this, it says, so encourage each other and build each other up. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 11 says, encourage each other and build each other up. So what's that saying? If I am connected with you as a part of my family, because we talk about dysfunctional family. Family includes family of origin, includes coworkers, church members. It includes us as a nation. We got to learn how to, to, to build each other up, encourage each other, and build each other up. It's real easy to be negative. Y'all know that, right? It's real easy to take somebody down, to point out the faults in anybody. But guys, it takes a spirit-minded person to build Amen. Uh, each other up. And Paul, in that letter to the Thessalonians, in that first letter says, he says, so encourage each other and build each other up. So when we learn how to confront, it empowers us to be change agents, to encourage others and to build them up. The fourth thing, it, it solves problems. It solves problems. Learning how to confront helps you solve problems. Avoiding confrontation can make the problem worse. Because you know, when there's something that needs to be addressed, it doesn't just get better automatically. There has to be some initiative taken on the part of the individuals to make sure that we are there to help build each other up so it'll help solve the problem, amen, when we learn how to confront well. The fifth thing we want to, we want to look at is it, 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 builds, it builds growth. It builds growth. Healthy confrontation help people grow emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. Emotionally, if I say emotionally, Say it again, say emotionally. Say it again, say emotionally. And this is critically important during this time of pandemic because a lot of people are, are emotionally unhealthy. Emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. They make us, the confrontation make us grow by making us aware of what we are doing and how our behavior affects others. If you have, have you ever been in a relationship where, where somebody was doing something that just annoyed you? but you never felt like you could really say what they were doing that was annoying you. I, I, I just need y'all to talk to me today, okay? Have you ever been in a relationship with a family member, church family, family of origin, co-worker, or a fellow American that they were doing stuff that was annoying you? And you sat there, and, and maybe you, you just got annoyed and said, well, I ain't, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get in my corner, I'm going to stay where I am, and I ain't going to be bothered by you anymore. I know how to treat you with a long-handled spoon. Y'all heard that before? When you treat somebody with a long-handled spoon, that means that I'm going to disconnect from my relationship. I'm not going to get close to you and let it be healthy because I don't trust you. So, guys, if we're going to rid our families of the dysfunction, we can't, we can't afford to handle our family with long-handled spoons. God desires for us to have connectivity in our relationships. Amen. So, so, so it builds growth when we learn how to do that well. Each one of us, come on, each one of us delivers the ingredients for growth to the people in our life. Go to 1 Peter, the fourth chapter, verse number 10, right quick. 1 Peter, chapter 4, verse number 10. Me and my dysfunctional family. How can we, as born-again believers, begin to do relationship building well? And we're going to look at Abraham and Abimelech in this chapter here, this 21st chapter, and see that they learn how to do relationship well. Can I get a witness? Text says this, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. What does he say? Use them what? Well to do what? Serve one another. 
Can we read it out loud on purpose? Come on, let's read. You, you online, go along with it. It says what? God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them what? Well to do what? Sir, when I, so that means that everyone who's born again has been endowed with spiritual gifts. And those spiritual gifts are designed for us to use to serve one another. To serve one another. And there are going to be some times, guys, when God will, will lead you to people and, and, and cause you or, or put in your spirit to go and, and, and connect with that person so you can help build that person up in their faith walk. So, so we see this, each one of us, we, 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 all of us have a gifting that we can utilize to help serve each other. The sixth thing that we see that we get from confrontation is clarifying what's reality. Clarifying reality. Healthy confrontations help people to see the other person for who they really are. For who they really are. When we learn to confront the right way, now that's key, the right way. Let me give you some wrong ways to confront. Cussing somebody out. All you cussing Christians out there. Hello. Let me say it again. Because some people think that it's okay to use whatever language they want to use. And you cannot honor God by cussing people out. Now, I'm not talking about outside. I'm talking about in the church. I'm talking about within the body of Christ. You cannot honor God by cussing people out. You cannot honor God, God by, by using harsh and abrasive words. You cannot honor God by, by, by shouting someone down, being loud and indignant. There is a way to do it. Remember Matthew, I think it's the 18 chapter says this. Uh, go, Matthew 18, let's, let's see if we can find that right here. Matthew 18, verse number 15. This should be our mindset when we're dealing with anything that has to be dealt with, whether it's a time to confront, we got to make sure we do it the right way. Matthew, the 18th chapter, I believe it's verse 15. Glory to God. If we would do this in the church, when I say in the church, I'm talking about amongst fellow believers, then I believe it will, it will, it will lend itself for us to have healthy relationships. The text says this, watch this, but uh, Matt, is it, am, I, am I in the right place? Matthew 18, verse number 15. It says what? If another believer sins against you, go in front of the whole church and tell everybody else about it. Is that what it says? If, 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 you, if you're offended by another brother, go tell everybody except them. No, it says what? If another believer sins against you, go what? Privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. Look at the next verse. Let's go. Y'all know this. But if you are unsuccessful, take what? One or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by what? Two or three witnesses. The text says, next verse, let's go read. It says, if the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, Treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. So there's a progression that should take place when we're dealing with uh, uh, an out or an offense that takes place amongst fellow Christians. But most people don't do this very well. I'm going to say it this way, and this is kind of old school, but, but many Christians are too chicken to go and address an issue. We'll talk about it to everybody else, 
other than the person who we have the issue with. And God gives us a blueprint for handling those things. Go to a one-on-one privately. And then in case you don't believe your word, take two or three more spiritual people with you. Don't take a carnal-minded cussing person with you. Take the person who is in that word. Take the person who's growing who can give sound biblical advice. And when we do that, and then if it continues to go on, he tells us how to, to exercise church discipline. But guys, we've got to get better at this. But, we, it, but when we confront, it clarifies reality. It tells us who the person is. When we learn to confront the right way, reality comes back into the picture and the person sees themselves and the other person in a much clearer light. Now, last, lastly here, avoiding, we can, uh, you know, when we learn how to confront, we avoid, we avoid being part of the problem. The Bible teaches that we have a duty to warn each other that we are a part of God's means of helping one another stay in the path of growth. We have a responsibility to help each other to grow. Can I get it with us? We have a responsibility to connect with each other. And if I see you or you see me going into a ditch, then don't just watch me go into the ditch. Come and catch me by the hand and say, brother, we can't go that way. Because God requires us, we that are part of the family, to learn how to deal with each other and to confront issues in a God-honoring way. Now, let's get back and look at our text from Genesis, the 21st chapter. Because, guys, if we're honest about it, human relationships, as we see them today, tend to be falling apart. The very fabric of our society, good human relationships seems to be collapsing. The, the, more, the, the longer mankind is on earth, it seems like the more wicked we get. And so, 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 so we have things like lust and greed and selfishness producing all kinds of immorality in society, lawlessness and power-hungry people. And good relationships tend to be a rarity. Good relationships tend to be a rarity. Maria and I were reflecting uh, just the other day. We've been married almost 35 years. And one of the things that we said, we oftentimes say is, when we were getting ready to get married, I met her in January, got engaged to her in June, and married the gal in December. That's less than a year. And we're still kicking 35 years later. But as we thought about it, at that point in time, we didn't really have a model that we could point to and go to somebody and say, how do you do marriage God's way? Now, we had people in the church who were married, but a lot of those marriages were not really strong and healthy. They were still together, but we didn't have anybody who we could go to and say, listen, will you mentor us as it relates to how to do marriage the right way? Because back in those days, a lot of times, People didn't talk a whole lot about marriage. You just, you just stayed together. You just, just suffered through it. It's not about suffering through it. Our marriages should be a picture, a tangible picture of how Christ connects to his church. But guys, what I'm telling you today is, is that if we're going to be difference makers and God called us to be difference makers, then we need to be in a position to where we know how to do good relationships. We're learning how to confront. We're learning how to handle problems. We're learning how to deal with the dysfunctionality that's a part of our families. And so too many times we let stuff go and we don't deal with it. Good relationships are a rarity. Think about, think about how few good relationships really exist. How many good relationships are really health relationships do we honestly know between husband and wives? Between parent and child? Between neighbors? Between coworkers? Between employer employees, most people, when you go and talk to them, how's the job going? Well, I'm just, you know, I mean, I'm just trying to make it. 
Most of them don't even look at their job as a way that God has blessed them to be able to provide for their families, and they end up poor-mouthing or complaining, as the old folks say, with a loaf of bread on your arm. Guys, let me tell you something. If God has graced you and blessed you, it may not be what you want, but thank God you got a job. Have you looked at the unemployment numbers lately? There are a whole lot of folks who are running, who need a man, a, a, a job to go to right now. So it may not be what you want it to be, but thank God that you have a place that you can go and get income or you have your own business that still has customers. Can I get a witness? But, but we complain with, you know, good, healthy relationships. Do you see it in politics? Absolutely not. It, it's, it's, it's unconscionable to me that we would have a, a Congress that shows such poor leadership, Democrat and Republican. It, it, it's unconscionable to me that we got folks in elected office who don't have enough sense to work out how we're going to run this country. So we don't have it in politics. We don't have it in government. We don't have it between the nations. And guess what, guys? Between churches and church leaders, we don't have it. I can't tell you the number of pastors who I've talked to who struggle when pastoring their church. In other words, they, 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 it's, it's like a, it's a chore for them. Guys, let me tell you something. I, I thank God I get to do what I'm doing. I don't have to do it. I get to serve you. But there are many pastors in their relationship with their churches, it is, it's toxic. It's, it's not even at a point to where you can strategize about how to reach the loss. You're warring in between yourselves. But we got to get healthy and show people how to rid our church family, our family of origin of the dysfunction that the enemy wants to try to throw in there. Because Brother Tim, who we were talking the other night, he, he said something that really stuck in my mind. He says, if Satan were to teach math, he would teach division. Because he's all about dividing. Can I get a witness? He's all about dividing. I mean, whether it's race by race, by section of the country, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. He's, he just wants to mess you up. He wants to mess up marriages. He wants to, me- he, he wants, he wants to mess up your finances. He wants to divide. Can I get a witness? But we know that God is a God who, who cherishes unity. How good and pleasant it is for brothers to do what? Dwell together in what? Unity. So the enemy comes to provide Division, but God comes to unite. There are some good relationships within all those different categories, but, but when you think about it as a whole, it seems like we have forgotten how to do healthy relationships. And so we get back here to the 21st chapter of Genesis. Let's go back here right quick. Because it's important for us guys to realize that in this passage of Scripture here, we're going to begin to see as we go and talk about conquering faith, overcoming conflict, and then we get into the steps to building good relationships. Go to Genesis 21st chapter, verse number 22. Now, Abraham, Abraham and Abimelech had some history. Y'all know this, right? We know that when we get to the words of our text right here, approximately four years earlier, you remember Abimelech had taken Sarah to be a part of his harem, right? And because Abraham, again, he's still growing, God's still dealing with him. He lied again about Sarah being his sister rather than his wife. He lied, guys, to, to save his own skin. Because during that time, I told you, if a king saw your wife and she was pretty 
And again, Sarah's on up in age, guys, right? She was still fine at 75. Can I put that way? Come on. At 75, she's still fine. Otherwise, the king would not have wanted her to say, as a matter of fact, she was older than that. Because again, when we go back and look at it, she was what? Uh, Abraham was 100, right? And she was 90. Am I right about it? Come on, Bible scholars. When Isaac was born. All right. So four years prior to that, we get into chapter. So she had to be she had to be in her 80s. Man, she was fine in her 80s. Come on, we got an 80 year old foxes out there. Come on. Yeah, yeah. I see some hands out there. Sarah. Come on. The king still wanted her for his harem, guys. And Abraham lied. But now we come to the words of our text and we see Abraham, Abraham is growing. And, and, and now we get to this part of here where he deals with Abimelech again. And Abimelech has been watching him over the last four years. He's been watching how he is growing and developing, how he handles himself and how God is blessing him. So we get into the, this neighborly faith. How, how do we connect with people who, who are, who are uh, close by us? Uh, the steps to building good relationships, that's what we're going to talk about here. Now, neighbors, let's, 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 just before we get into this, watch this. Someone once defined, it's what my definition, I just read it. They define a neighbor as a person who can get into your house in a minute, but it takes two hours to get them out. <laughs> I, read, I, I read it, I said, man, that's true. It says, a person, someone defined a neighbor as a person who can get into your house in a minute, but it takes two hours to get him out. I can remember back when we stayed in a, in a subdivision, two or three subdivisions ago up in Oak Creek subdivision. There was a guy that was next door to us. He was a military guy. And man, when we would come home from work, we couldn't even get out the car good before he came. He was a nice guy, and I enjoyed talking to him, but I couldn't even get out my clothes. And he was over in the driveway, and he wouldn't just leave. He wouldn't speak. He would come inside and stay two or three hours. I'm hungry. I got a motor yard. But here he is, wants to talk. And sometimes, how many of y'all got something? Any, any of y'all got those neighbors that come over and don't know how to leave? Anybody, anybody in the house? But, but, but guys, listen to me. In all seriousness, neighbors can be a great source of blessing and even grow closer to us than some of our own family, family members. Uh, Proverbs 27 and 10, just write that down. I'm going to read it for you. It says, better is a neighbor that is near than a brother far off. I'm going to read that again. Proverbs 27 and 10 from the KJV says, Better is a neighbor that is near than a brother who is far off. However, guys, neighbors can be a problem at times. Whether they're believers or unbelievers, in fact, we can be a problem to our neighbors if we're not careful. But here's what I want to tell you. I believe that God strategically places us in different places where we live and in those neighborhoods that we live in or in the area that we live in, God wants us to have impact on the people around us. Can I get a witness? And so, so, so he wants us to not be the problem. He wants us to be a part of the solution. So let's go to the text right quick. The text says, and it came to pass at that time. Now remember, they had a relationship before because Abraham had lied and God began to, you remember God shut up, shut the wounds of, 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 of Abimelech's wife and all their servants and nobody couldn't have any babies because he had did something unawares, mind you. He had taken the wife 
of Abraham and God, even in the dream, God, God said, I'm not going to let this thing go any further. God didn't even allow him to get a chance to go sleep with Sarah. He came to Abimelech in a dream and said, what you did is not right. Abimelech, I ain't know God. I didn't know. The, please don't, 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 don't wipe us out. But God, amen, came to him a dream and, and interrupted his flow because he was, that's what usually happened. Again, Abraham had to grow because Abraham was trying to save himself. was going to let his wife go and sleep with the king. So, you know, God's still working on him at that point in time. But now we see him growing. We see him progressing. And so if we're going to, guys, if we're going to, 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 to build good relationships, let's talk about some things that we as Christians need to do. Okay. Are y'all with me today? So the first step, guys, in, 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 in building a good relationship is we got to have a consistent testimony. Abraham had a consistent testimony. Everybody say consi- consistent. A consistent testimony before people, guys. A consistent testimony before people. Let's get back to our text right quick, the 22nd verse, and let's read that. Because Abimelech had been watching him, and God seemed to be with Abraham in, in everything he did. No matter what Abraham did, God was with him, guiding and encouraging him and blessing him. The text said it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and uh, Foucault, the chief captain of his host spake unto Abraham saying, God is with thee in all that thou doest. How many people who live next door to you are saying, man, God is with that dude. God is with that family and all that they do. They were observing him and watching. Don't you think for one second that people aren't watching you? Something simple as, you know, uh, what I do uh, for some exercise, I'll walk the town of Ben. I'll, I'll, I have a six-mile route that I take around the town of Ben. And you'll be amazed at the number of people who, who, whenever they see me, they say, man, I see you walking around the town of Ben. And they, they notice something just as mundane and, and, and trivial as me walking the streets of Ben. Because people watch, people are generally nosy, just like you. <laughs> Come on, people are nosy, right? I wonder what's going on with Brendan Donnell. Mm, I ain't seen her sitting next to Donnell in a long time. What's going on? Are they all right? Jerry and, and Beverly, what's, what's, what's happening with Jerry and Beverly? They bought that house over there. You know, I, I, what kind of money Jerry makes? Ain't no, it ain't your business what kind of money Jerry makes. But people are nosy. Come on. We'd rather know somebody else's business rather than taking care of our homes. So they're watching this dude. They're watching Abraham. Don't you think for one second those who are not saved are not watching what's going on in the church? The text says, it said, God is with thee in all that thou doest. Now watch, watch this. What kind of things was Abimelech noticing? Let's, let's go to the next verse. Can we, can we keep reading? It says, now therefore swear unto me here by God that thou wilt not deal falsely with me, nor with my son, nor with my son's son, but according to the kindness that I have done unto thee, thou shalt do unto me and to the land wherein thou hast sojourned. Okay, watch. So, so, so what kind of things was Abimelech noticing? Well, it had to be things that we notice about people. Well, first of all, he's dealing with other people. See, how you deal with other people is an indication of your character and, 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 your, and your worthless as a born-again believer. In other words, it, it, it indicates how you really are. Because how many of y'all know sometimes people will deal with you one way and deal with somebody else another way? If the pastor asks you to do it, you do it. But if the, if the person who the pastor asks you to ask you and you don't know what the pastor asks him to ask you, you won't do it. 
That's, everybody said that's not right. See, when it comes to ministry or whatever, then we should not show partiality. But, but sometimes we deal with people harshly and then expect our testimony to be uh, glowing in, in the sight of men. God, amen, wants us to deal with all people fairly. Can I get a witness? So they notice he's dealing with other people. Abraham was kind, he was fair, and he was honest in all his dealing. They, they look at his business interests. Abraham made God a partner in his business. If you got a business or you make an income, you better make God a partner in that. Because God, when God is your partner, guess what? You're going to prosper. Can I get a witness? Abraham made God a partner in his business, and in all of his business interests grew, he gave God the credit. Whatever you accomplish, whatever I accomplish in life, what liberty I've done, I'm going to give God the credit. Because it's not about Doyle Adams, God. It's about Jesus Christ, who, who hung, bled, and died on Calvary's hill, amen, crucified, buried, and resurrected with all power and heaven up in his hand, and I'm here to give him glory. So whatever I do in life, I'm going to point people to Jesus. And Abraham, as he's growing in his faith, he, he, his business dealing were, were a testament that God was with him. His, his worship and his witness were good because Abraham was consistent in his worship and witness for God. How consistent are you in your worship and your witness? And his life, his life, Abraham lived a moral and a just life. He's, he's on the right path now. He's going toward the 22nd chapter, which is what we're trying to get to, guys. The 22nd chapter when he believed God so much so that he was willing to sacrifice the son Isaac on the altar. Guys, we got to make sure we uh, have a good testimony. The point is this. Abraham was living for God, living a consistent life for God, and Abimelech noticed his life. People are going to notice you. People are going to notice how you do, do life. They don't care what you say. They're going to notice how you live, how you treat people. And we as a body of believers have to be mindful of what kind of testimony we are giving out. Amen. The point is Abraham was living for God, living a consistent life for God, and Abimelech noticed that. Abimelech said to Abraham, what is it, what, what, what it was that, that, that caught his eye and brought him to Abraham? It was Abraham's striking testimony before God. It seemed that God was with Abraham in all that he did. So guys, I'm going to tell you something. It's important for us to live a life that's, that's, that's pleasing in God's sight. Proverbs 14 and 34 says, it says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. When we learn how to live right as a nation, as a group of people, as a church, then God can be exalted. But when we don't have a good testimony, guys, it brings down our, our purpose and in, in our mandate that God has given the church to, to, to flow under. Amen. We're, we're to go and make disciples. We can't do that if we're not, we don't have a good testimony. Can I get a witness? Second thing we see. So Abraham had a consistent testimony. Consistent testimony. Now, listen to me. All of us can mess up along the way. All of us can make a bad choice and a bad decision. But we're talking about consistent lifestyle. Anytime you find someone who professes to be a believer, but their lifestyle is continually raggedy and they sin with no remorse, then there is something wrong with their testimony. See, if you're really born again and Jesus Christ is coming to your heart, you can't keep living any kind of way over and over and over and over and over again. I'm not saying you can't make, mess up and make a mistake because we all have. But when you got a lifestyle, you're known as a drunkard, a cusser, a womanizer. You're known as that. Then there's something wrong with your testimony. I'm going to say it again. You better check yourself to see if you know what it means to be born again. Can I get a witness? So Abraham had a consistent testimony. Look at the next thing we're going to see. Abraham, 
made a strong commitment not to deal falsely. A strong commitment not to deal falsely, amen, with other people. We got to make sure that we have, when we're dealing with people, especially those that are outside the church, that we are men of integrity and honor. I can't tell you the number of professed Christians who are crooked businessmen, who deal with people crookedly, who borrow money and don't repay, who lie. Hello? I mean, look you and I and lie. We, we should call those kind of folk a warhorse liar, a lie you didn't even ask for. You didn't have to lie about it, just speak the truth. But there are people who profess Christ, who are, who are preaching from pulpits, in on deacon boards, singing in choirs, ushering on the usher board, that don't have a true testimony. Because we don't deal with people honestly. Can I get a witness? So the second step in building a relationship is making a strong commitment that, that you won't deal falsely with other people. And that includes your family members. Amen. Abimelech had been fair, honest, and just with Abraham. Just four years earlier, again, he returned Sarah back because he didn't know that that was his wife. And, but, but Abimelech had done everything he could to build a good relationship with Abraham. Now he asked Abraham to seal that relationship with a permanent peace treaty here we see in this 23rd and 24th verse. Okay, so, so he, he, we see here where he, we, if we're going to, if we're going to be a, a people of honor and integrity, we can't deal falsely. We got to speak truth. We got to begin when we're dealing with other family members. We got to speak truth. Some of y'all right now have schisms in your family, stuff that has been going on uh, for a number of years, and nobody won't talk about it. I'm here to tell you that as a born again believer, you're here listening to this message because God wants you to be the catalyst for make bringing about change in your dysfunctional family. Yeah, y'all say, but there's some dysfunction there. Yeah, y'all say, but there's some stuff that's not right that needs to be dealt with. And we've been too uh, uh, timid to confront those things so that our family can be whole and well and we can have a good testimony. So he, if we're going to uh, if we're going to uh, be good and build a relationship, we got to make sure we like Abraham, make a strong commitment not to deal falsely with those who we come in contact with. Because guess what, guys? Bad news travels fast. Come on. Bad news travels a whole lot faster than good news. We can get 15 people saved here this Sunday morning and schedule them to be baptized and nobody won't hear about that. But if, if, if Kenny Wayne and I get to fighting on the front row, Deacon Douglas and Pastor Adam got to fight, it'll be all over Benton, Shreveport and Bossier around the world on the internet before we can even get home from church. Guys, listen to me. We got to be willing to do things the right way. Third thing we want to make sure we are, if we're going to to be uh, healthy in our relationships, we're going to have good good relationships. Because most of us, when we think about it, we probably have few of these in our life. Let me put it this way. We have, I know all of us, including myself, have less than what I need. Good, healthy relationships. Good God-honoring relationships. Can I get a witness? Abraham was open and honest. Go to verse 25 and 26. He was open and honest. See, a problem had arisen that Abimelech didn't know anything about. Some of his workers had seized the well that Abraham had apparently dug for his own herds and his workers. So they, they'd taken that well. But watch the text. And Abraham re- reproved Abimelech because of a well of water, which Abimelech's servants had violently taken away. They, they took it by force. Abraham dug it for his family and his servants 
but they came and took it. Now, again, granted, it was on Abimelech's land, but again, that was wrong what they did. Look at the next verse. It says what? And Abimelech said, I would not who have done this thing, neither didst thou tell me, neither yet heard I of it. But today, it's the first time I'm hearing about this, Abraham. Watch this. Go to the next verse. Text says what? And Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them unto Abimelech, and both of them did what? They made a covenant. They made a covenant. Abraham knew this. The only way to maintain a good relationship with Abimelech was to be completely open and honest. Therefore, he shared uh, the seizure with Abraham, with Abimelech. He shared some of his things with him. We, we, guys, we must be open and honest if we're going to build good relationship. Lies and deception only do what? Destroy relationships. Let me say it again. When you can't speak truth, into whatever relationship you're in, it's going to destroy it. In a marriage, in a church, on your job, if you are working and you're making a sale, but you lie to get a sale, lying will catch up with you. And as a believer, we shouldn't be doing that. But you know what? It's important for me as your pastor to say this because Paul even said it when he was writing to the different churches. He says, lie not one to another. Why would he say that? He said it because church people were lying. We got to be honest, open and honest. And when we're open and honest, God can utilize us to advance kingdom principles here in the earth realm. Can I get a witness? So he was open and honest. Uh, the next thing I want you to make note of, if we're, gonna, if we're gonna build good relationships, now again, open and honest. Let me say this, young lady, if you're dating a man, he lied to you all the time, you catch him in lies, you better run for the hills. Young man, you dating a young lady and, she, and you catch her in lies, run for the hills. If you are married to your spouse and you catch them in lies, don't run for the hills because y'all in covenant relationship, but y'all better learn to get that relationship right. If you are married and she can't or he can't know the code to your phone, there's a dead cat on the line somewhere. Y'all know what that means? There's a dead cat on the line somewhere. It ain't it's my privacy. Baby, you two are one. I've, I've, I've been preaching this from the time I've been pastoring here. The two become what? One flesh. And anything that I can't share with my wife is something that's not in line with God's will. I'm going to say that once more and again. If I can't share with my wife, that means that I'm hiding something. If you can't share with your husband, that means you are hiding something. And if you're going to have an open and honest relationship, it's going to take both of y'all being willing to be vulnerable and open. But Pastor, you know, last time I was open and vulnerable, I got hurt. And, 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 and it still, it, it still bothered me that that's the problem. You never dealt with your hurt. You never allowed yourself and went through the process of being emotionally uh, being made well emotionally. So now you, what you did, you took the, the bad relationship from 15, 20 years ago and brought it into this new relationship. If you're going to have, amen, a healthy relationship, you got to learn to be open and honest with each other. He was open and honest. Now I'm telling you right now, it, even in the church, as your pastor, I want to be open and honest with you. I want to I I be able to share with you and you not lead the church because I shared with you what I saw. And what we need to improve on. 
See, when you got a healthy relationship, you can talk about things and it not ends up in total chaos. Abraham here is showing some honesty here. So he was open and honest. Abraham gave and shared beyond the basic requirement. Look at 27 through 30 right quick. We're going to try to close this thing out. Fourth step is building good relationship and giving and sharing one another. And Abraham took sheep and oxen and he gave them unto Abimelech and both of them made a covenant. Text says, and Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. Text says, and Abimelech said unto Abraham, what mean these seven ewe lambs which thou hast set by themselves? Text says, and he said, for these seven ewe lambs shalt thou take of my hand that they may be a witness unto me that I have digged this way. <laughs> Abimelech didn't know anything about it. Said, Abimelech's men came and violently took the well. Abraham said, this is a sign of the covenant. I really did dig this well. I'm going to give you something to, to, to seal the fact that, that I'm, I'm true to my word. Can I get a witness? So guys, uh, so, so number four, we said what we, we said that Abraham, we see that Abraham gave and shared beyond the basic requirement. See, when, you go, when, you, when you're in a healthy relationship, that means you give of yourself. You go beyond just the minimum. See, if, you, if, if you're walking close with God, you're not going to do just the bare minimum in your walk with Jesus Christ in this earth realm and your participation in your local church body. You're willing to give your all for Christ. And when you're in a healthy marriage and you're a healthy work environment, you're willing to give your all to make sure that the, that the product gets produced, that the client gets served, that the patient is made well. You don't, you don't you, when it's time to take their blood pressure, give them a shot, and it's five o'clock, you don't say, uh-oh, it's time for me to go home. I ain't giving you this shot. No. You step in there because you, you, you took that, what's that oath called, Katie? It's a Hippocratic oath, right? That you're going to do your very best to make sure you take care of that patient, right? And so the same way it should be with us with God, we should give our very best to God in, in, in advancing the kingdom principle that he said our, 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 our mindset in this earth ran to begin to do as a church family. We got to make sure that we are kingdom representatives. Abraham gave and shared beyond the basic requirement. Some folks only give God the bare minimum. You give them tired time. You give them that time after you've done everything else. Surfed Facebook, Twitter, been on social media all night, and then open your Bible at 1030 and go to sleep in your Bible, slobbing in it. Don't give God tired time. Give him your best time. Give him that. Give, it's a good practice to give him that first hour of the day. Can I get a witness? So the fourth step, again, Abraham gave and shared beyond the basic requirement. The fifth step is Abraham consecrated his commitment. He consecrated his commitment, guys. Are you with me today? The fifth step in building a relationship is consecrating and remembering your commitment. You know, those of us that are married wear a wedding ring. That wedding ring is a symbol of our commitment to our spouse. Amen? When you, when you unite with a local church body, you adhere to that covenant of that church and you, you make a conscious decision to say, I'm going to unite with this local church body and I'm going to submit myself to, the, to how this church body is ran as it relates to the word of God. And that's commitment, amen, means, should mean something. Look at 31 and 32 right quick as we get ready to close out. Abraham consecrated his commitment. The text says this, wherefore he called that place Beersheba because there they swear both of them. Next verse says what? Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech rose up in Phicol, the chief captain of his host, and they returned into the land of the Philistines. Okay? 
So they made, they, they, they made, they, he consecrated his commitment. And lastly, Abraham acknowledged the Lord and his need for God's help in building good relationship. You can't build good relationship without God being in the middle of it. You with me? Abraham acknowledged the Lord and his need for God's help in building good relationship. Look at 33 and 34. We close out. Because guys, we got to make sure that we're doing our part. The only person that I can control, guys, is me. And the only person you can control is you. And the only person that God is going to hold us accountable for, unless we got children, is underage children. The only person God's going to hold us accountable for is us. When I stand and you stand before the beam of judgment seat of Christ, God's going to ask, how faithful have you been to what I call you to do? How faithful have you been? Really, honestly, how faithful have you been to what God has called you to do? During this time of pandemic, we may not be able to meet regularly as a church, but there's still ministry work to be done. As a matter of fact, I've said before and I'll say it again. This, this, I believe part of this pandemic is to show us that, that being the church is more than about just gathering on Sunday. It's a part of it, yes, but it goes beyond that. We should be dispersed into our individual environments, taking Christ with us in our homes, on our jobs, in the grocery store, wherever we may go. We should be representing Christ there. It's ministry opportunity all around us. Text says this, that Abraham planted a grove in Bathsheba and called there and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Last verse is what? And Abraham sojourned in the Philistines' land for many days. He acknowledged the Lord. He, he acknowledged the Lord and his need for God's help in building good relationships. We need the Lord to help us to be able to nurture good relationships. Don't leave God out. Because the moment you leave him out, then you start leaning depending upon your flesh. Abraham shows us a pattern. And we're going to get into this 22nd chapter next, next week. And we're going to see how far he has came, guys. We saw him in his infancy stage where, where God gave him the, 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 the promise. And the Bible said he believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. But God had to take him through a process to get him to the point to where he would sacrifice his son Isaac on the altar. I got news for you. God is taking us through a process, a process of developing us cultivating us, making us be what he called and ordained for us to be. He gave his son to die on the cross for us so that we could have a relationship with him. And once we enter into that relationship with him, then it is, it is incumbent upon us to grow in our faith. Don't stand still and be a baby Christian all your life. Amen. Reacting and responding to everything out of your emotions. At some point in time, you got to grow up. We got to grow up and be the person that God can utilize to advance his kingdom agenda. Dr. Tony Evans says the kingdom agenda is the visible demonstration of the comprehensive rule of God in every area of your life. So in every area of my life and every area of your life, we should, we should see God ruling and reigning. How you handle your money, we should see God ruling and reigning. How you get along with your spouse, we should see God ruling and reigning. How you work, amen, with your coworkers and your fellow church members, we should see God ruling and reigning. Can I get a witness? How you dealing with this pandemic, we should see God ruling and reigning. We should not be operating out of fear. We are careful, yes. We are, we are, we are being cautious, but we should, we should never operate out of fear where we're scared to move. 
Because even in the midst of this pandemic, God is trying to do something, amen, in the lives of human beings. And he wants to use you. Yes, you. He wants to use every last one of us to be that vessel of honor that he can send to minister to somebody who needs our help. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you.